right, I've been trying to get this guy on forever because <laughs> um, he's crazy mad busy with Jay. I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that you are living in your professional dream world right now. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's an accurate assumption. I mean, I'm in the job that I've sort of always wanted to be in and uh, I was in it for a lot of lean years, at least for the team. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's different now. There's no doubt about it. I mean, th they've got a, a superstar quarterback and they're Super Bowl contenders. And that, those are things that you and I have talked about for a long time that it wasn't always like that around here. And uh, just the immense interest, uh, particularly in Josh Allen, but it filters down, you know, to the rest of the team is, is really cool, right? It's great for me. It's great for the business. Um, but it's more so, you know, I, I've talked about this before with, um, with, with people and in, in interviews and things like that. But, you know, one of the things that I thought of, uh, that I've thought about a lot lately. I, I spoke at my high school. It was really neat. About a month ago, they asked me to come back and speak to a couple of classes. And it was really fun for me to do that. But one of the things that I had mentioned to them was that I've thought a lot about, you know, if the bills get there, right. If they get over the hump and I'm going to be the guy that writes that story, that's going to exist and live on in probably basements and, uh, bar rooms and man caves and offices. Uh, hopefully, you know, those words that I write about that game are going to be on the front page of the sports section of the Buffalo news the day after the bills win the Super Bowl, And, uh, and I'm hoping that that's going to sell a lot of copies and it's going to be kept by a lot of people. And it's a sort of a weighty thing to think about, but it's also an incredible honor, you know, because it's my family that's going to be reading those words. It's my best friends. Uh, it's, you know, it's this entire community, um, that I feel so attached to. And so to think about that is just a really, really neat thought for me. And it's something, like I said, I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, you, you know, there, there's a lot of pressure, I guess, in some ways that comes with that. You want it to be good, but it would be an incredible honor. And I feel like it's, uh, something that, you know, it might happen. It's a realistic thought. Yeah. It's a, it's for a long time. It was never a realistic thought. We're, we're in a different place now though. That's crazy cool perspective. And I never would have asked you that question about, you know, you thinking about that um, because it absolutely is reality. I mean, they're the odds on favorite to win the Super Bowl in Vegas right now. And I want to talk about that a little later in, in the podcast, but yeah, I mean, to think about, I mean, you're, you're a young man. I mean, to think about the fact that you're not going to be on the front page of the sports page, by the way, if you win the Super Bowl, you're going to be on the front page of the front page. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's a really cool honor in your hometown to think about having the privilege of being able to do uh, and be and be a part of. That's that's really super cool. And yeah, you and I both, when I was doing Bill's radio, I mean, gosh, those were super lean years that teased us every single year. There was that little tiny tease. We we're like, yeah. man, they could be and they never were. Right. And now you're in this spot where, holy cow, you're you're living what I think every sports writer would ever want to be living. And that's covering arguably their favorite team in their hometown and then seeing them do as well as they're doing. And ultimately winning a championship. That's awesome. So you were part of, I don't know if anyone's ever said this and I'll say it and I might not be right, but it's fair. You're kind of like the first family of media in, in <laughs> Buffalo. I mean, it, I'm sure people have mentioned that to you somehow, some way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a small part of that. I mean, I think that my wife would be the one that if we go to Wegmans is uh, getting the attention, right? Or uh, walking around the gallery mall or whatever it might be. But uh, it's neat. It, it is cool that we're both uh, in the industry uh, in, in some way. Uh, I'm immensely proud of, of what she's done. Uh, she's a, a Buffalo girl too, graduated from Sweet Home. And uh, a lot of the things that I said about the Bills, uh, she shares the same feelings, uh, getting a chance to, you know, be watched by her family and her friends every morning on, on TV, on channel two, for anybody who doesn't know my, my wife is Melissa, uh, home. She's the anchor, uh, the the morning show anchor at channel two, along with Pete Gallivan. And, uh, it was neat. We were down in uh, Florida just, uh, last week and, uh, visiting her parents, they're snowbirds and they watch her on whatever system they've got sling TV or some kind of system, you know, set up. Uh, that they can watch her every morning down in Florida. And that is just so cool, I think, you know, because, it, and honestly, for them, 
you know, they're away for, you know, from January through the end of April, it's a long time, but they feel like more connected to her because they see her every single morning. And so um, that's, 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 a, I had never really thought about that too, that they don't, you know, obviously it's not the same as just popping over or going out for dinner, but they see her every morning. And there's a lot of people that feel that way too. And, you know, in terms of our relationship, you know, to, understand each other's job. I think the way that we do, even if they're different mediums, I think is really good for us. Uh, It's, it's helpful for her. She can bounce things off of me. I mean, she's my first uh, proofreader uh, on on most stories, uh, certainly bigger stories. Uh, I will have Melissa read it before I file it. Uh, Maybe not the smaller stuff, but if it's a story that I care about that I've put a lot of time in, she's going to be the first one that reads it. And, you know, it's, it's funny. She probably wouldn't want me to say this, but some of our biggest disagreements maybe stem from her suggestions in my stories. And it's like, no, I've spent a lot of time. I want it this way. You know what I mean? But that's healthy. That's good. And, uh, you know, just even this morning, you know, talking about, uh, you know, potential story idea for her, uh, that she then took to her boss. So it's interesting that, you know, we've got that dynamic that, uh, again, it's not exactly the same business. There are differences, but there's some overlap. There's some similarity. And I think the fact that, you know, say what you want about like the first family of Buffalo media, I'm never going to mm-hmm. say that. I think it's, it, it's, it's neat, but the fact that we're both from here and I think we each, you know, get this town in a, in a really special way. It's a special place for us. I'll be the first to say, Melissa is talented enough to anchor in any market in the country that she wanted to. And she never really pursued that with any real zeal because she wanted to be here. And, you know, I'd like to think that if I wanted to chase jobs that I could do that too. And I don't, you know, as, as you said at the start, you know, I'm in a, in a place in, in a profession um, where I've found a, a spot where I'm really happy. But, you know, the reason that I'm really happy is because on Wednesdays in the summer, I get to go up to Hickory Stick and play nine holes with my dad. Right. And that's not going to exist if I'm covering the Chiefs for the Kansas City Star. Um, so there is, you know, there's some trade off. Could we have chased, you know, promotions in our career and bigger jobs potentially? But would we have what we have in terms of our family and our friends and this network and, and feeling connected to the community? And it's more than just family and friends. It's as you said, you know, we do get recognized sometimes, it doesn't happen all the time, but when we go to Wegmans and, you know, it happens a lot with Missy, that's really, really neat that she's got that connection and people feel like they know us and they know our family and uh, we love that. We absolutely love it. So that, that, I don't know that we'd get that anywhere else. I don't think we would. If Twitter counts for anything, you're more famous, just so you know. I tell her that all the time. Don't, don't <laughs> worry. She, she knows that. Absolutely. And whenever I feel like I have to just kind of remind her of something, I let her know about Twitter followers. <laughs> that's, the only, that's the only measure of popularity that I would ever win, for sure. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not even going to ask you who has the better. You clearly have the better job. I mean, you're you're writing about sports and a good football team now. And, and just, yeah. I mean, you're... You, and she's up what what she gets up at like two in the morning to go to work like yeah. i mean who wants that 2 15 the alarm goes off oh, whatever. Yeah, I hear it. yeah i hear it so uh no i do have uh a job that most uh sports loving fans would rightfully say like you've got the dream job right and yeah i mean listen it, it's a job right any job is going to have aspects or parts that you know can frustrate you or um, and that, that goes for Josh Allen, I bet. Right. Sure. <laughs> $250 million contract, notwithstanding, but no, it's a super, super cool job. Uh, all of the obvious perks that come with it are, are real. And, uh, but you know, for her in, you know, in the TV industry, the, it's a challenge because you're either working that morning shift or you're working nights really. That's right. And, you know, as a mom, right. And there aren't a lot of them at the station at channel two, she may I maybe is the only one I, that I know of. Um, she wouldn't get a chance to see Elliot if she were on the night shift. So the morning shift, while you never quite normally get, you, you never normalize that schedule and that sacrifice. And I deeply appreciate that she makes it for our family, but it does afford her a lot of chance to see our son grow up and she wouldn't trade that for the world. Yeah. For sure. I was going to say your schedules don't jive. I mean, like when, when do you, when do you see each other? And, and, and the other, and just to piggyback on what you, we just talked about, like, how do you sleep through a two fifteen alarm or are you just so used to it by now that you just automatically not sleep through it? 
Yeah. I mean, it's like a coin flip, whether I sleep through it, but I'm used to it. But, you know, I, I know that, it, you know, I know it comes with the territory. Listen, I mean, I know why she's getting up at that time. And uh, so, yeah, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, but it, you know, in terms of uh, spending time together, we, you know, we have a couple hours. She's usually home from work around noon. I get to work from home uh, when I'm not out at the stadium, you know, so especially now in the off season, I'm home a lot more. Uh, so we've got a couple hours there. Now that's her nap time though. And listen, let me tell you about nap time. If there's one thing that you need to know about morning show TV personalities, and this is not just Melissa, this is uh, Pat Hammer and Pete, I'm sure is that nap time is not to be disturbed. So she needs those couple hours of sleep when she gets home before the bus uh, drops Elliot off. And if she gets those, then the rest of the night is great. And if she doesn't, we know around seven o'clock, like, it's about time to, to, you know, dial things back. So, uh, so that, you know, we, we make it work, I guess is the best way to describe it. And, uh, but nap time is a huge part of that. All right. You've mentioned your son multiple times now, and I, I had planned to ask you about him anyway. You're wearing a Titleist golf hat. You love golf. We still <laughs> have to, you and I get out and play. We've been talking about it for years to you and I play. Yeah. Um, and you just were on vacation. You played a couple of rounds down in, in, in Florida and Georgia and, I know that Elliot is a champion golfer um, in the seven-year-old age group and just turned eight. So I got to ask you, I mean, there's lots of questions to ask you about this. Um, clearly, I mean, he's, he's traveling. You're, you're taking him to tournaments around the country, at least uh, yeah. along the East Coast that I'm aware of. Um, so I'm assuming golf pros are telling you something or <laughs> is this just something he fell in love with and all of a sudden is like, kind of really good at and this is something you're going to pursue or i mean he's a stud don't get this he's he's amazing um and he has always loved it uh i always tell the story and it's an absolute true story when he was a year old laying on my chest on the couch watching tv the first station that he learned the first channel 593 593 data that was the golf channel that's what he wanted on and that was before cartoons there was no peppa pig or, or paw patrol <laughs> it was golf channel he wanted the golf channel on and uh you know we've got video after video of him as a kid just watching golf and and loving it and we you know first vi you know first video that i have of him swinging a real club he was still in diapers wow. he, had, he was turning three uh, a month later. So he was still two years old. We were at the, the Whirly Golf Dome. He went through a phase for about six months where all he wanted to wear were swim trunks and rain boots. And eventually we just like, whatever, we wear whatever you want. So he's swinging, he's swinging a real club in, in his swim trunks and rain boots in the middle of February in Buffalo. And uh, that has, you know, sort of been the start of it. And one thing that I'll mention, I'll, I'll shoot you the link. I, it's uh something that Missy did. He just turned eight in, in March, uh, March 5th was his eighth birthday. And uh, Missy for six months worked on this project. She basically took every video, every photo uh, that we have from him playing golf from the time he was that, that old up through uh, February when we went out to Arizona and he, and he won a big tournament and she put it all in, in you know, her, this creative editing process that she does with her background at channel two and created like a 20 minute long video that's a, on YouTube. So we have like a, a private YouTube link and it, it chronicles his entire golf life. And it's just uh, absolutely incredible. We had a little birthday party for him and, and we showed, you know, people the video and, you know, people were, were crying at the end of it just because of how well done it was, but just to have that memory is, is super, super special. And uh, yeah, you know, in terms of his ability, it's, it's natural. It's God given. I mean, I, you know, I'm a, I can hack it around. Okay. I love playing. I'm pretty good. I've played a long time, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a scratch golfer by any means. Um, and you know, he's taken some lessons here and there, uh, big shout out to Cindy Miller. I'm sure everybody in the Buffalo golf community knows she's, she's been great. Mark Rosa, who I've taken some lessons with Marlene Davis. Those are a couple of the, of the pros who have really, uh, shown an interest and really helped our family along, uh, uh, Fred Zollner over at Diamond Hawk. I want to mention him too. Those those people have really uh, shown an interest in Elliot's golf career. Really helped, you know, you know, just kind of bring it along. Um, but yeah, he's he's a really really good player. He plays uh, U.S. Kids Golf tournaments. And just to give you an idea, last year 
as a seven-year-old, they have the world championships. It's held at Pinehurst, North Carolina every year in July, kind of the American home of golf. And as a seven-year-old, they play, so seven-year-olds play only seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds play only eight-year-olds and so on. There were 110 kids uh, in the seven-year-old age group. Those kids were from 23 states and 10 countries. Usually it's a, the countries is a lot higher, but with COVID, a little tougher to get over uh, into the U.S. last year. So the countries was down a little bit, but out of those 110 kids, all of whom have to qualify. So you got to shoot a certain score to, to even get into that tournament. He was leading that, that tournament after the first round. He was the only kid to shoot under par, shot 35 on the first day, and ended up finishing in a tie for fourth uh, out of 110. So, you know, I, I was really proud of that. That's his best finish. He's won some regional tournaments in U.S. Kids. But, you know, to, to finish fourth in the world uh, and to play in Buffalo, right, where you're playing six months out of the year, if you're lucky, uh, really remarkable. Just super, super proud of him and can't wait to see where this journey takes him and, you know, what what the game brings him next. So what what does he uh, what does he give dad in terms of, of, of a percentage from his winnings? Yeah. So he you, gets you are caddy uh, for him. Yeah, I do caddy for him, uh, and, you know, unless he fires me, which has happened on, on a few <laughs> occasions. Um, he's He gets Sour Patch Kids for birdies. Um, so I guess, like, I should start carrying around, like, I wouldn't want Sour Patch Kids, like peanut M&Ms, right? Those would be maybe, like, when he has a bogey, like, I get some M&Ms or something like that. I don't even know. But, yeah, that's – right now, those are the stakes, is uh, the bets are for uh, – the bets are for Sour Patch Kids or maybe Skittles, depending on what he's feeling the, yeah. for the day. Wow. Um, so obviously he's a young, he's a, he's a boy. He's going to obviously grow a lot. I mean, you, you both, you and your wife are both very tall. Yeah. And so he's, if he is anything like the two of you, he's going to have arguably the perfect golf body. Cause he's going to be tall and lean. Right. Um, as, yeah. As pediatrician uh, told us when he was two or three that expect to be expecting to be, be, to be, excuse me, between six, three and six, four. So he's going to be, He's going to have some height to him, and you're absolutely right. Kind of that ideal golf frame when you think of it's around that height, and yep. so that you know that's what we're expecting. Yeah. So I asked that question because clearly between now and then, lots going to change. Um, so what's your like? You're just going to like keep going until yeah. he gets bored or gets interested in other sports. Like, is that is that kind of how you're you're going at at this? Yeah. I mean, so I'm a huge proponent of kids being, you know, three sport athletes, multiple yeah. sport athletes, even more than three sport. Right. I I'm always going to, uh, want him to play other sports. Um, we're, we're super blessed and fortunate to live in a, in a great area with a, a nice cul-de-sac where we have so many neighbors with, with boys, you know, especially, but you know, kids, young kids to play with. So, I mean, he comes home from school and it's, you know, one day it's street hockey, the next day it's basketball, the next day it's two hand touch. And there's just a huge group of kids. I mean, I'm talking probably eight or nine boys all within a, a fairly close age range to, to play that with. And so, you know, he's in a little basketball league now through his school district. Uh, he's on a travel baseball team. He's actually playing up a year. He's the youngest kid on his nine and under baseball team. He just turned eight. Um, and that, the same was true last year. One of his coaches told me last year he was on the eight and under uh, travel baseball team, which he made as a six-year-old. He said he was the youngest kid in the entire league. So I was pretty proud of that too. Loves baseball. Um, so we're, you know, we're looking forward to that season starting up. He's going to play as many sports as he can, as, as he wants to. I'm going to encourage that all the time. And then, you know, in terms of golf, I mean, certainly that is the one that he's excelled at the most and, but he's just so young still. I mean, there's kids that haven't even picked up a golf club, uh, who won't pick up a golf club until 10 or 11, who are going to excel at it, you know, in the same way, or, or maybe even better. Um, so we're just going to play it, you know, play it by ear and see where, where it takes them. You know, I, the thing that I've really liked to see over the last few months, and, and again, you know, we, uh, real quick in, in February, we went down to Tampa, he played the Under Armour Winter National Championship, 90 kids in that tournament, ages six to eight, he was seven at the time. He finished solo 12th out of 90. Hadn't touched a club really since October. The following weekend, we went out to Phoenix, played a U.S. Kids Regional, which again, you have to qualify to get in. It's a step below the world championship. There were 24 kids in that field and he won, shot 34-34, so 68. And uh, that's, a, that's a big win. That, that's a really big win. But to see him 
win that and to kind of see him, he's starting to realize now that he's good, you know, and he's starting. And I think that's inspiring him to want to do it a little bit more. I mean, we, you know, uh, you asked me tonight, could we do this at seven? I was at the golf dome at seven. So <laughs> you need to do it a little later because Tuesdays is the golf dome. And so he, he wants to practice, he wants to play. And um, as long as that's the case, you know, I, I want to find that happy medium between, you know, giving him every opportunity to do that, but not wanting him to burn out on it too. And, you know, Missy and I talk about it all the time. It's, it's tough, you know, for parents to not really have that roadmap. And that's where I'm going to kind of depend on those people that I talked to, you know, talked about earlier that, you know, I'm going to, you know, need some advice from them from time to time. And that's why they've been great and, and so helpful for us. Does he have a favorite golfer besides you? He, no, he, you know, he kind of bounces between guys. You know, I think he, he was really into Bryce and he loved the idea of how far can a guy hit it, you know, and now that he hasn't been playing as much, uh, you know, I, I think Scheffler winning, you know, as much as he has, he's kind of, he's, I, he likes Rory. I, I've shown him, you know, some clips of Rory, you know, his build like is not going to be Rory though. It's going to be more DJ. So if, if I do show him a swing on YouTube, it's usually Dustin Johnson's. Um, so, but he, you know, he kind of just goes through it. He he'll, he'll watch anybody though, but he, he was really intrigued by the whole Bryson thing and how far, how far he could hit it. I think that, I, I don't know that I'd call him his favorite, but he was definitely interested in what he was doing. So what's his uh, last Elliot question? We're spending a lot of time on Elliot here. What, what's what's the best and worst parts of his game? I mean, he's so straight. He just keeps the ball in play. I mean, hits every fairway. Just never gets himself into trouble. Um, he, you know, again, it's going to sound a, a, a kind of braggadocious. I don't want to sound like that. He doesn't have any real, real weaknesses. I, I'd say some some irons uh you know he's got a tendency you know if he if he slows the swing speed down he might chunk a few irons here and there i think anybody can do that um but i I would say proximity to the hole on his irons is something that we're working on learning how far he's hitting the clubs i mean he's growing he's getting taller he's getting stronger so that is a real difference right he hit he hits things a lot farther than he did last year just because he's growing so quickly so the iron play i think is always going to be something that he works on but in terms of, you know, off the tee, straight as, as can be, and I think he's a terrific putter, and then it's just figuring out that distance control. That's something we're going to work on a lot this year. I can't wait until you and he, maybe you already do it, but until there's, like, friendly friendly bets. So yeah. It's old enough, and you, you guys are more comparable. That will be really fun to watch. Okay, let's segue now to your back to your job now. Bills, bets in this weekend, obviously. Draft in two weeks. Before I get to all of that, I got to ask you about a couple of, of, of things. Uh, one is I want to ask you about Brian Dable. Mm-hmm. Sort of, so I've heard some things. Brian Dable leave because of Sean McDermott or because of the opportunity or both? Oh, much, much more because of the opportunity yeah. than the, the first part. Yeah, I, I don't think the first part. I don't think I don't think that had much at all to do with it, if anything, to do with it. I mean, it was the opportunity. I mean, this is uh, a dream job for him. There's one of the you know, it's a cliche. You know, you hear it all the time, but it's true. There's 32 of those jobs and it's something that he's been working for for 25 years. Right. His entire professional existence has been this, you know, this opportunity. And, you know, it's a storied franchise and all of that. Um I, you know, did Sean McDermott and Brian Dayball have disagreements last year? Absolutely. 100% that happened. Those are two highly competitive, high strung guys who believe in the way that they do things and the believe and believe in the way they want things done. I don't believe for a second though, that had Brian Dayball not gotten a head coaching job, he would have went anywhere else for another coordinator position. He uh, quite frankly, he'd be crazy to do that, to leave Josh Allen. Um, So no, I, I don't think that, Sean McDermott's presence had any had really much of anything at all to do with Brian Dayball leaving. It was more the opportunity and, and the realization of a, of a dream, of a lifetime dream. Would you agree that some coordinators take that opportunity and for some of them, and I would maintain maybe more than half of them, it's a bad choice um, because a lot of times – the jobs they take aren't good. In other words, the teams aren't good. The management in place isn't good. Now, granted, Joe Shane sort of went with them. We know how that all worked out. Yeah. 
but right. I mean, how many, how many great coordinators going to go into head coaching positions in the NFL and fail in two or three years? That happens all the time. What do you, how, what, what kind of a head coach do you think he's going to be? Well, you know, I think he relates to his players. I think his players, you know, respect his approach. I mean, he, he truly cares about them. I I know that uh, to be true. I mean, but listen, I mean, you talk about the, the, situation that he's walking into I mean that is a heavy heavy lift for those guys right for Joe Shane he's got to deal with what Brian with with what Brandon Bean had to deal with here in Buffalo in terms of a hellacious salary cap situation that's going to take some work you've got a quarterback there who's a former first round pick but nobody is sold on right how could you be uh that doesn't mean that he can't succeed but is he going to who nobody knows the answer to that and if he doesn't then okay so then you look at 2023 you're where the bills were in 2018, right? You've got to maneuver yourself into a position where you can draft a quarterback that you believe in. He's got to be the right guy. Dayball's got to develop him along with his offensive staff. Is he going to be able to devote as much time to developing a quarterback as he did in Buffalo? Probably not, right? Because the head coach is the CEO. They've got other things that they've got to deal with. So a lot of things have to go right for Joe Shane and for Brian Dayball in New York. And oh, oh by the way, right. It's New York. They're not going to have the longest of ropes. It just doesn't exist uh, in that city. So I get why they left. I get, I totally get it. I mean, you know, if you, your dream is to, in Shane's case, run a team and Dayball's coach, be the head coach and Dayball's case, be the head coach of a team that that's logical. And, and to do it, you know, with a historic franchise like the giants, it's a great opportunity for both of them. You, you know, you've got to be when that opportunity is there, you've got to strike, right? Because we thought maybe the year before that it was going to be there for Dayball. I mean, it, the stars aligned. I still can't believe he didn't get the Chargers job, right? It didn't make any sense to me then. It still doesn't make sense to me. And you never know when that opportunity is just all of a sudden not going to be there. You look at Eric Bieniemy, right, with the Chiefs. We've been saying year after year, what? Why isn't this guy getting a head coaching job? And Eventually, maybe he does, but maybe he doesn't, right? And so Brian Dayball, I think, easily could have been in that situation. Now, to your point, I want to take this in a bit of a different direction, right? There was some speculation or there were some rumors that Dayball wanted to bring Ken Dorsey with him to be his offensive coordinator in New York. Ken Dorsey would have made the worst career move of probably his life had he done that. I mean, stay here call place with Josh Allen for two years, put up 30 points a game, and then you're the one getting those head coaching jobs or those head, at least those head coaching interviews, right? So I, I don't know how much there was of Dorsey ever being a legitimate, you know, going to New York candidate. But, oh, and by the way, he might not have even been playing, you know, calling plays there, right? Because Dayball's there and maybe he does that. So that would have been a crazy career move in my mind for Ken Dorsey. I don't know, you know, how much there was really to it, but he made the logical choice in my mind. You stay here. When you have Josh Allen, you stay here, you call his plays, and then in two years, you're you're knocking on the door of a head coaching job as well. Yeah, and thank you for setting that up because I was going to ask you about Ken Dorsey and and what Bills fans should think about him because let's face it, I mean now now it's his gig, right? Now he's the OC. He's going to want to massage that game plan and massage, you know, everything that goes into play. Like he wants to have his own sort of play calling mentality and and structure. So how much of that, you know, everybody I think wants him to, well, do what Dayball did because they, they did what they did and they scored all those points and they were hugely successful. And look at Josh just went like that. And why would you change anything? But you know, Dorsey's going to absolutely going to want to put his, you know, finger on it and make it his own. Right. So like yeah. how much does that, how much is it even noticed? Do you think when we see the bills offense in 2022? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I do think that there will be wrinkles, right? There has to be. I mean, it's simple. It's not going to be as simple as just saying, here's Brian Dayball's offense. Here's the keys to it. Just keep, you know, keep the car on the road. I mean, um, that that's not realistic to think, but, you know, to the, I think the, the big factor here in this is that this is going to be a collaboration between Ken Dorsey and Josh Allen. Josh Allen has been around long enough now that he knows what he likes. He knows what he doesn't like. Listen, the bill's, empowered Allen in a lot of ways to say who do you want to be your next offensive coordinator not that he made the hire but don't be fooled I mean his words went a long way his feelings went a long way toward Dorsey being that guy right they want Allen and it makes sense I mean he's the most important person in the franchise 
and there's a pretty steep drop to number two, right? That's how important Josh Allen is to this team. Um, So he, and again, he's not going to call the plays. He's not going to do that, but he's going to work together. I would think very, very closely with Ken Dorsey in terms of, Hey, this is what we do really well. This is what I'm comfortable. This is what I like doing. This is maybe not so much what I like doing. And then, you know, from that point, I think it's up to Dorsey to kind of build around those strengths and try to minimize those weaknesses if you if you call them weaknesses. So I'd expect we'll see a lot of that. You know, of course, you're right. There are going to be differences. But, you know, one of the things about Dable's offense was that it was pretty chameleon-like, and that's where he kind of he, – he prided himself on that, right? He never wanted to be, you know, put into a box of we have to throw it 50 times to win because that's how I do it. He thought if we needed to run it 50 times a week, we're going to do that too. And that was, he was, he meant that. I mean, that was always his, his conversation piece about, you know, his philosophy on offense is do what it takes to win that week and highlight Isaiah McKenzie or highlight Dawson Knox. It, it didn't have to be throw it to Stefan Diggs every time. And, you know, there were a lot of times I think fans maybe wanted to see more of that, but it just wasn't his style. He never, believed in that maybe Dorsey does believe in that a little bit more in terms of playing up to your strengths but Dayball's approach was a little different in that way so we'll you know we'll see that I think that's you know I'm looking forward to getting a chance to to talk with Ken Dorsey about that we haven't heard from him yet you know that'll happen this spring and I think that'll be one of the first questions you know how much of this is going to be what you guys have been doing versus what you want to do yeah and I think I think Dayball was smart too I mean I I think you probably in writing a lot of what you wrote and and watching i i think he was a a, a matchup guy a lot yeah, I, mean, I don't know if you would agree with that but yeah yeah no 100 percent. i mean he was absolutely about matchups that was what and and if that meant giving the ball to devin singletary 20 times a game at the end of the season that's what they were going to do and you know the, there were games i think back to you know maybe the jets game i think it was where uh stefan diggs had maybe 14 targets there was there was a sequence in that game where they threw him through to him in the end zone. It didn't work. And then they came back and ran the exact same play and it worked the next time. And it, right in that to me just says, we believe in this matchup and that's what we're going to, that's just one small example, but it stands out to me when you talk about his approach and his belief in this is our favorable matchup. This is where we want to attack. Okay. So now in terms of play call, now I'm going to fast forward now to the, to the draft because we're hearing a lot of people saying, who cares? I mean, mock drafts are what they are. It is what it is. I mean, the, the, the experts suck at mock <laughs> drafting. We know this, right? I mean, McShay and, and Kyle everyone Kyle, does, right? No, no one's good at it. Cause it's so hard to predict. No one knows how the boards are going to fall in the end on, on draft night in the first night. But a, a lot of people are saying, you know, typically the bills is going to be one of three positions. It's either going to be wide out corner or running back. And Brees Hall seemed his name comes up, comes up like crazy. And for a team, you said it, their best player is their quarterback. I don't know why you draft a running back at, in the first round if your best player is your quarterback. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, and, and also, for whatever it, 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 it means, you know, I've gone through plenty of draft magazines and up and down on, online about the draft. And I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, but I think the running back class is actually – pretty pretty good like you could get a guy in the third or fourth round that could do what you want Brees Hall to do potentially yeah I'm team don't believe in drafting running backs in the first round that's my philosophy right but it we need to point out it's not Brandon Bean's philosophy it hasn't been he has uh said that you know he's not not just said it though I mean there's evidence of it right you look at what, uh, you know, what they did in Carolina when he was part of that front office, they have drafted running backs in the first round uh, probably more often than you would even <laughs> believe, right? Jonathan uh, Williams, was it? Uh, uh, Deang- or, excuse me, D'Angelo Williams, Jonathan Stewart, uh, Christian McCaffrey, I believe were all first round picks uh, while Brandon Bean, and not to say that he was the guy pulling the card in those situations, but he was in those front offices, right? So he's been around it. Um, and he, is, he has said if that player is the best uh, on the board at the time that he wouldn't shy away from doing it. So we know philosophically that the bills wouldn't rule it out. Again, if I were Brandon Bean, it's not something that I believe is the right roster building move. Now to your point, you know, 
Brees Hall can come in here and it's not that it's going to be a guy that you just turn around and hand him the ball 30 times, right? He can be involved as a pass catcher. I think that is probably, you know, when you think about his fit in Buffalo, that would be the most attractive part of it. I, I again, I, you know, is the value there? Is it right at 25? I don't know. There are so many different directions that this draft can go. And that's true for the draft as a whole, but then it filters down, especially to the bills as well, because to your point, a, you don't know who's going to be there at 25, and then B, you don't know which positions they're going to prioritize, or are they truly going to do best player available? Because yeah. if that's the if that's the case, then you can build a logical argument for a lot of different positions. Mm-hmm. We should point out, right? The Chiefs did it, right? Not all that long ago, they took Clyde Edwards-Helaire with I think the 31st pick, so pretty late in the first round, uh, just a few picks later than where the Bills will be picking. So, you know, teams have done it before. Would I be in favor of doing it? Not necessarily, but I think you could justify it in the sense that if you believe he is a difference maker who is going to take this already elite offense to even another echelon, then I think you could build a case for it. Yeah, um, I am concerned, uh, and I'm, I'm a little surprised more Bills fans aren't, that more hasn't been done in terms of the emphasis on corner. I yeah. think most of us know or at least think or have heard that Trey white is probably not going to be hundred percent come opening week. I mean, that, that's, I think that's common, right? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, history suggests, I mean, history would tell you that for a guy yeah. coming off of an ACL tier when he had it, that that first year back is not going to be exactly the same. Uh, and that's certainly true in September of his first year back. Yeah. So, so now Levi Wallace gone. Now you got Dane Jackson, Dane Jackson, who was okay, you know, serviceable, yeah. whatever. Yeah. But I'm, I'm really concerned that they've done nothing in free agency at the cornerback position. And I just get the feeling, and maybe this is just the Bills, as smart as they've been draft-wise, just saying, zip it. We're not saying or doing anything. We're not going to lead anybody to believe that we're taking a corner, even though there's a glaring need for one. Um, what, break down corner for me. What, what are we doing here? Yeah, I mean, you know, anybody can look at the roster, right? Just a casual fan can kind of look at the projected starting lineup and see that cornerback is a big time question mark because, yeah, Trey White might not be ready. Let me interrupt you real quick, especially now in this new 2022 AFC, right? And and with the schedule that they have in front of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And right. And Dane Jackson, you know, played some good football, but did he play enough good football to say, yeah, that guy's our starter. And even if he is, you still need another guy, right? You still need another cornerback to be that top backup. You know, if let's say Trey White comes back and is great and Dane Jackson is a starter, who's your third corner, right? And now you you say, well, you, you don't draft a backup in the first round, but let's, you know, move on past that. To me, what I, you know, the, the question that I'm kind of, coming back to a cornerback is does Sean McDermott's belief in his defensive system sort of trump the need, right? And does he believe so highly and so strongly in what his safeties can do that he feels like we're going to be able to get by a cornerback? You know, I think there's a part of that. I think there has to be right. Because they would not have a, they wouldn't have let Levi Wallace go on the contract that he received from Pittsburgh. That to me just says they believe they're going to find an upgrade from Levi Wallace, right? Because that was a low money deal. They could have come up with that. I mean, that they, they could have found that in their couch cushions if they wanted to, yeah. they didn't want to. So they believe they can find an upgrade. And I, I, the longer it goes without them addressing it now, maybe the, you know, listen, maybe they use a first round pick on this and it's a moot point, right? You draft, a, you draft a guy in the first round, you expect him at a minimum to come in, come in and compete for a starting job. But I think there's a part of this that says, Sean McDermott has looked at his history and said, I can build a defense, a successful defense, and I don't have to spend huge twice on corners, right? Because they already did once with Trey White. But you go back to Josh Norman, right, in his career in Carolina, he gets a massive contract with Washington and really never was the same player. I mean, he had some good years, but did did, did Josh Norman receive that contract because of who he was as a player? or because at least in part, what he produced in Sean McDermott's system. I think there's a part of that. So that to me is maybe why fans are panicking a little bit more than what the team is. Uh, and Brandon Mean has pointed out a lot of times that free agency isn't over, right? The draft is only a part of this, right? And we'll see, you know, maybe 
Sauce Gardner goes in the top five picks and the team that drafts him says, we don't need a cornerback anymore and releases a guy that the Bills feel can come in and, and play. The trade market isn't closed, right? Bradbury from the Giants is a name everybody's speculated about, but maybe the money works out there and, and there's a deal to be made there. So Brandon Bean's message at the, at the owner's meetings, I talked to him about this and a lot of reporters did down in West Palm. And this was last month was the season doesn't start next week. So don't panic. And you know, until they address it in a meaningful way, I do think that question is going to linger. And I do think if you were looking at the draft from a logic needs-based position, and again, we should point out that the Bills don't look at it that way, or at least they say they don't, then corner is the biggest need. And I don't think you can really argue any other position. Well, you, and you could, the other very simple argument that they could present to fans is, look, we went out and got Von Miller, right? We expect Russo and Epinesa and Boogie Basham to be better and Jerry mm-hmm. Hughes, if he's still here, right? So pass rush will help yeah. if that's a backfield, right? If you have a better pass rush. So that's maybe another thing that they're banking on where they know if that works, how they're planning on it working, they don't have to rely on that back end as you might suspect they would need to rely on it, but just throwing that out there. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's a fair point. I think ideally, right. That, that does happen. Right. And they, they'd tell you the same thing that, you know, those units work together. You need the pass rush to have a, uh, an effective secondary and you need an effective secondary to help out your pass rush at times. There's no doubt they go hand in hand. And then wide receiver has been talked about too, as I mentioned. And like, so, you know, you got Davis and Diggs. you got some guys on the depth chart that were here a year ago. You got McKenzie and you got Crowder. Um, what's the, what's the difference between McKenzie and Crowder? Crowder, just a little bit bigger, not as like better route runner. What's the difference between those two guys? Yeah, I think Crowder, you know, I think he's got, he's obviously a little bit more experienced. I sure. think you're, you're really looking at Crowder in in my mind to be exactly the Cole Beasley replacement, you know, and not to say they're the, the same player, but Jamison Crowder said himself when he signed here, when we had a chance to speak with him, that he modeled a lot of his game after and studied a lot of Cole Beasley tape. And that to me uh, is a good sign, right? Because Cole Beasley was effective in his role and, you know, he played it, he played hurt last year. Um, and you wonder what that did for, you know, for his explosiveness, you know, playing with three broken ribs, that's not easy, but he was so good at finding those soft spots in the zone. And I think Jamison Crowder is going to come in and have an, an excellent opportunity to do the exact same thing. When teams decide to defend the bills that way with zone coverage, you're going to want Jamison Crowder to find those soft spots. And, you know, we saw McKenzie, his strength uh, going up against man coverage, what he did against the Patriots, right? If that, and, and that's a, what a lethal thing that is for the Bills offense to have those two weapons and to say, all right, you pick your poison. You tell us how you wanted to defend, defend our offense and we'll tell you who we're going to put on the field. So I like the Crowder signing. I thought it was really, really good value for the Bills to get a guy who's been really productive in New York when he's been healthy the last few years with, you know, obviously a much different quarterback situation than what he's stepping into here. So I think Crowder fills that Beasley role. It's only a one-year deal though, right? So when you talk about wide receivers as a first round option, and I think, you know, I'd be interested to see, maybe I'll, you know, throw up a poll on Twitter or something, just what position do you want to see the Bills draft in the first round? I bet receiver gets a lot of votes. I wonder yeah. if it maybe even gets the most votes, maybe even over cornerback. I'd, I'd say those those two positions, I would have to guess, would be one, two. But listen, giving Josh Allen another weapon in the, in the form of a first-round receiver, that's pretty appealing. I mean, you look at the three guys that Cincinnati ran out, right, in the, in the Super Bowl. I mean, those are big-time talents. And – the Bills have Diggs. We know he's a big-time talent. We believe Gabe Davis is going to be a big-time talent. You base that just on what he did against the Chiefs, and you would expect that. And then who's that third guy? Is it Crowder? You know, Or is it potentially a first-round pick who can come in and, and maybe pick his spots? I think that's really intriguing, and I can, get, I, I can understand, I can get why fans would get behind that idea. Yeah, like that sizable straight-line speed guy, you know, a guy that's – you know, six one, six two. That runs a four four, right? That's yeah, something that they don't have. And that yeah, would be- yeah. I mean, the, you know, the, the my, you know, long time sort of you you want to call him draft crush is is Jamison Williams. I mean, I think absolutely. I I think the, you know the closer we get, the more mocks you read. I think the less the likelihood is that he gets to twenty five. But I mean, you talk about adding that type of speed to this offense, it's it's intriguing, and I, I get why fans would be into that idea. 
we're going super long and I, I, I'm, I'm just going to real quick. I love OJ Howard. I thought the OJ Howard signing was phenomenal. He is yeah. an athlete. He's huge. He's never really been given an opportunity because of injury in Tampa and the way that, you know, the roster shook up with the addition of Gronk. I think he's going to be an incredible compliment to Dawson Knox. You. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, and it's low risk, right? I mean, yeah. if, it doesn't, if it doesn't work out, then, you know, no harm, no foul, you know, from the Bills perspective. And listen, OJ Howard is going to be as hungry as a player can be to reestablish himself as an, yeah, not, you know, not that he wasn't an NFL player, but I'd say, you know, in terms of being a first round draft pick, he probably didn't meet the expectations that he had even for himself uh, down in Tampa. So this is an excellent opportunity for him to step into uh, what should be a great offense, put up numbers, show that he can stay healthy and then see what that leads to next year for him. Right. Because that, if he does, you know, what you're talking about there and if he forms that one, two punch with Dawson Knox, if he shows that he can be kind of an every down player for an offense, he's going to get himself a nice contract next year. So there's a lot, you know, the bills stand to benefit is, is obvious, right. In terms of what he can bring to the offense. And then OJ Howard stands to benefit in terms of, you know, setting himself up for potentially a nice payday down the line. Yeah. I just, I just, I just think tight end is becoming so trendy, man, because there's so many defenses that can't cover them. Yeah. I mean, these are guys with wide receiver ability that are massive people, right? So it's so hard to find a safety that can cover these guys. And almost every team's got one at this point, um, which I don't think, I mean, I, I can't recall seeing this kind of talent at the tight end position in a really, really, really long time. Um, yeah, and the Bill, I mean, the Bills only had one last year, right? right. I mean, you know, Dawson Knox was the only guy that was even active by the end of the season. I mean, Tommy Sweeney was the only other tight end on the roster, and he was a healthy and active pretty much down the stretch and into the postseason. So they needed to add at that position. I agree with you. I think Howard, again, low risk and uh, potential high reward. Okay. The Bills are favorites today to win the Super Bowl. That's a lot of hype. And, and it's worthy, right? It's deserved. Mm-hmm. But I'm, man, I, I'll, I'll throw right out there. I went on DraftKings and I put money on like the Chargers and a couple of the longer odds in the AFC teams because the AFC is just so damn, it's just so damn stacked, man. And their schedule is so damn tough. Um, I, I Yes, they probably are top to bottom roster wise, and maybe with throwing the coach, the best team in the AFC, and they again are deserved of being the odds on favorite at least to represent the AFC. And we know the NFC is a bit weaker now for a lot of reasons. So yes, maybe they should be. But man, I don't know. I I don't have the confidence maybe that I should in 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 making that wager just because the conference is so different. Yeah. And the schedule is so different than it was a year ago. Well, the thing that I look at when I think about that is how does the the seeding shake out for the playoffs? Right. And one of the things that I think it kind of goes without saying, but it's worth repeating is, you know, you can't lose to the Jaguars like you did last year. Right. Right. You can't you cannot you know, that game, you know, potentially cost them not having to go on the road in the divisional round, or, you know, if Josh Allen doesn't slip down in Tennessee, maybe they've got the number one seat. That has to be the goal for this franchise. I think the, the, the bye week is huge, but more so than that, it's the home field advantage. I mean, they're what three and oh now in the playoffs under McDermott and winless on the road. If I, if I have that right, I believe that's the case. So that matters. We're, we're at the point now where that sample size is getting big enough that we can say home field advantage is a huge thing for this team. And I think, you know, when you look at the AFC West and how it may cannibalize itself, right. And the AFC central uh, you know, are you putting the Ravens over the bills? I, I don't think I am, you know, and you know, who knows what the Browns are going to be. I'm, I'm not picking them over the bills by any stretch. So I still think that the Bills are in the probably the most favorable division. And I think, you know, with the Chiefs losing Tyree Kill, we have to see the impact of that. Because, again, I think they're, it's really hard to, you know, know. Okay, they've got two first-round picks. Yeah, they're probably going to take a receiver. And you, you'd think with Mahomes that that offense is still going to hum. But listen, that I mean, that guy is dynamic. I mean, he destroyed the Bills just time and again. And that's a big loss for them. And then, you know, obviously you get to the Bengals, right? And, you know, they're, they should be the favorites. I mean, they're the defending Super Bowl champions. And I think they've had a really nice offseason. So to me, the challenge is going to be, can you do enough in your division 
to lock up the number one seed. And if you can do that, I think you've got to feel pretty good about the Bills' chances. I think they're, again, their track record at home in the postseason under Sean McDermott and with Josh Allen is strong. And so they slipped up too many times in the regular season last year. They had too many instances where they let opportunities get away from them. And you only need to point to Tennessee and to Jacksonville and say, if those two things don't happen, maybe this season or, you know, this past season goes different. So I think they've got to be, you know, they, they can't afford those, those missteps this year. And say what you want about Tua, but Tyree kills now in our division. And yeah. we now see him twice in the regular season. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I think the bills division got, you know, more challenging. Certainly, you know, Miami did, uh, you know, I don't know that you'd, you'd make that case for the Patriots necessarily, or, or the jets, Miami definitely got stronger. And maybe that means you don't sweep Miami. Maybe it means you split with Miami, but I, I, would rather be in the bill spot than say the chief spot. When you sure. look at what the AFC West did, you know what I mean? Yeah. hundred percent. Um, anything I missed, anything, uh, that I, that you want to talk about that we, we didn't mention. Yeah, man, I think we hit, you know, I think we hit them, hit them all. Uh, I'm trying you know, I'm, you know, it's, I'll just quickly kind of talk about some of the stuff that we're working on. You know, I, I went back and looked at, you know, Brandon Bean's 2019 draft grade or uh, draft class to kind of reevaluate that. And I think that was an interesting kind of thought exercise. You know, what do we make of that class? You know, I'll put it to you. You know, you've got Oliver, where, where's he land? Is he an A grade or, you know, I gave it a B plus that pick right now. Mm-hmm. You got Cody Ford. That's a D you've yep. got Devin Singletary. I gave that a B minus. You got Dawson Knox. I gave that a B plus based mostly on what he developed into. And then you didn't get much out of the day three picks. It was Voshan Joseph, Jaquan Jackson, uh, excuse me, Jaquan Johnson, uh, Daryl Johnson Jr. And then there, uh, Tommy Sweeney. So right. you didn't get a ton out of the day three picks, but uh, I think it's fair, you know, three years into those guys' career to kind of evaluate that class. I think it's an interesting one. It, it, it Maybe the book isn't totally written on those guys yet. You know, usually think three years is a pretty good time, but with the way that Oliver and with the way that Knox sort of ascended last year, if they can reach another level, that class looks even a little bit better, I'd say. Yeah, for sure. No doubt about it. Um, at Jay Skursky, right, on, uh, on Twitter? Yeah, that's okay. it. Just very simple, at Jay Skursky. Very good. Uh, I'm sorry. One day, I, I, I was going to have you on yesterday, but I figured you were busy. <laughs> Absolutely. Of course. I mean, come on, right. You got the, you got the pussy willows out right, and you got the right. water, you know, the squirt guns and everything. Right. And uh, it, yes, uh, I'm Missy actually ma- reminded me gently in the morning to make sure that I dressed Elliot in red for Dingus day. So <laughs> I certainly <laughs> did that on the way to school and uh, a good, Polish, uh, Western New York family that we are. We celebrated Dingus Day accordingly. Fantastic, man. Well, dude, great seeing you. Uh, yeah, and you I too, hope man. to see you soon. Let's definitely get on the golf course soon um, and continue, obviously, your terrific work and your dream job that you have. Appreciate it, buddy. And, uh, the weather's got to uh, approve, improve here enough to get on the course soon, right? I would, yeah, this, I would hope. This, this snow's got to go, dude. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm going to come up with a T-shirt that just says snow's got to go or <laughs> something. I don't know. They, one of the, one of the million t-shirt shops in Buffalo will probably print it for me too. I would, um, I would think, yeah, I would right? think so. All right, thanks, thanks for, yeah. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Bye, buddy.